Hey, everybody. Welcome to Generation AI, the podcast where we demystify artificial intelligence in the world of higher education. I'm your host, Artis Kadu, joined by my insightful co-host, Dr. JC Bonilla. Hello, JC. Hello, Artis. Hello, everybody. Excited to be here. We've had a series of gigantic events leading us to this, from introductions of new technology, Google, from deep fakes and pop and culture. Today, you have something really special for us, artists. You have taken a deep dive on a different intersection of generative AI or AI in another side of technology. So what is happening today? I'm so excited. So today we're going to explore groundbreaking developments in wearables. Obviously, a lot of you have seen a lot of the memes and have seen the proliferation of videos on all the social platforms or folks wearing the Apple Vision Pro. We figured this was very timely and we want to kind of expand the area a little bit and expand the field to talk more on what are some of the other AI wearables that are out there in the market and kind of how they fit into different areas. So from healthcare to fitness, monitoring innovations like the Apple Watch and and of course, like the Aura Ring. I don't know if you're familiar with that, JC. Right. But these are generative AI devices, like the Humane AI, for example, that's a gesture-based control pin and meta smart glasses from Ray-Ban. We'll try to touch base on Neuralink brain-computer interface. This is Elon Musk's Neuralink company, which is amazing. And they had their first human implant in January. They had their first human implant of Neuralink. And of course, we're going to dive into Apple Vision Pro. Vision Pro, it's a phenomenal product. It's a new next generation product that when you test it and when you see it, you really get the kind of the possibility. So let's dive in. But wait, Artis, first, three disclosures. Everybody, number one, know that Artis was the first consumer to buy and order a Google Pro because he adores the brand. Number two... We're both engineers. We dabble, of course, in data science and AI, but we come from this kind of hardcore, you know, technology aspect of engineering. So it's a really interesting thing that everyone needs to understand. Like we want to go deep on how these things work because number three, there's this idea of supplementals. You have a technology and complementary technologies emerge. And this is why this is an interesting market that has strengths. It's complementary. It's supplementary in in a sense. And the opportunities here are equally gigantic to the ones that we've been talking about. So give us that, you know, view of what is the market of AI wearables. So this idea of computing and now taking our computers with us, the phone was the first one that did that. So it kind of removed us from the office. It removed us from a stationary place. Of course, we could have taken laptops away, but introduction of iPhone and smartphones, now we can do computing and we get access to this computing everywhere. However, the phone is always in your pocket and it's somewhere. So you're interacting with it through the device and through the phone. There is no connection to the larger environment around you. As we kind of continue, we want to talk about kind of immersive experiences with our devices. Things like, I want to be able to see 3D different environments. That has progressed quite a bit. However, we haven't gotten there yet. With the introduction of Apple Vision Pro, they're calling this spatial computing. They're not calling it AR or VR. So we had these two different words before, but they're calling it spatial computing. So that's one area of it. But another area is that in AI, these devices that are tracking everything that we do are going to be more and more commonplace. 
Right now, a lot of us wear Apple Watches or wear some kind of a smart watch that's monitoring something about you, your health, your fitness. So as we continue in our day-to-day -day lives, hardware and the combination of this hardware and devices connecting to the cloud and connecting to our sensoring and monitoring of what we do are going to become more and more commonplace. And all of these are going to be driven by AI because they need to interface really like either predict something about us with predictive modeling or predictive AI or be able to communicate with us in some way with generative AI, right? So we have this two really great intersection of two modes of AI, both predictive and also generative that can be baked into a lot of these devices. In artists, not only there's those two angles where true deployment of AI is needed to power these devices, but the devices themselves could become input to other, you know, AI applications. And it becomes that cycle of, you know, training and customizing the deployment of AI for me, because now it understands, you know, case in point, the whole opportunity on AI and pharma, it's that wearables inform what type of medicine works for me versus artists, because it understands the oxygen consumption that I have the old, you know, tool rates and things like that versus artists, and then it will deploy that way. So training also an opportunity. Exactly, exactly. So let's talk about a couple of these in kind of the health and fitness monitoring area, right? Because you, you just touched based on monitoring blood oxygen or body temperature, but there's two devices that I think are pretty innovative and pretty interesting in this area. Of course, there's a lot more of them. The first one is the Apple Watch, which is, you know, ubiquitous everywhere. I'm wearing one. I'm pretty sure you're wearing one. A lot of people are wearing one. My mom's wearing one. So I broke one and I just don't want to buy it again. So I'm wearing a different brand nowadays, but just basically it's my wallet speaking to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's a cop out. We've got to get you a new one. Or you can get an Aura ring, which is, if you're familiar, this is a tiny ring that you can wear. The company kind of debuted in about 2015, and it's now in its third generation. So what it does, it's amazing. It's this one ring that's in your finger, and it tracks and analyzes things like your heart rate, variability, which is really important, blood oxygen rate, body temperature, sleep duration. It's essentially a kind of a health monitoring tool that you wear 24-7. And it's something that, you know, maybe you should be looking into, JC. Artists, not only I'm looking into it, right now I'm Googling it because this is my type of wearable, right? There's a whole line of thinking that the opportunity in wearables, it's about the Sims integration with us, the human. I mean, let's go back uh, circa, I don't know, early 2000s, the Google Glasses. Didn't really make it. And many people, they just thought it was like too, you know, just too out there, right? And one of the things that I think Apple with the new Apple Vision has done well is that seamless integration and the appeal of, it, of everything. So a ring, I'm so excited. So maybe I'm going to get into that one. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Of course. So the next one, as we transition a little bit more from kind of the health monitoring, we think about, okay, what does these devices look like in a generative AI world where there is no screens, for example? How can we communicate with them without having screens? So natural language and generative AI is really important. So a device that's kind of first imagined as kind of a companion is called the Humane AI Pin. And this is a two inch by two inch device. It has a camera. It was introduced in November. 
And this is, again, a device that is communicating with you. It doesn't have a screen. It doesn't have an interface. It's only over voice. It kind of projects certain thing on your hand. But again, it's something that you can use and you can kind of attach to you and it kind of stays with you and you can communicate with it just by voice. Very, very fascinating. I have not seen one in the wild yet or I haven't tested one, but basically the reveal and the promise of it, it's really, really incredible. So you can use gestures, touch, tap, swipe on your hand. It's kind of very futuristic. It looks like it just projects something on your hand and then you can kind of do all of these different gestures with it. And again, something that's, you know, it has audio that's personal audio, right? It doesn't go very far. It has a really interesting kind of spatial audio that's just in your space. So if I understand that this correctly, it has the capability to project on any type of surface or it's only on your own skin that will project? It's on your hand and it's basically uses generative AI to communicate with you. So it uses just language. You can communicate back and forth similar to a Siri, but a much, much more advanced one. And it connects directly to the cloud and there is no other interface to it, right? It just has a camera in it and it has a little projection to show you a couple of things, but there's no other input. You just do kind of hand gestures and things like that. Yeah. I think I've seen this technology deployed in the uh, subways of New York City with all the crazy people talking to themselves. So definitely that's mainstream here. <laughs> very, very exciting. <laughs> so if we moved in generative AI, one of the other ones, you mentioned Google Glass before. And Google Glass was one of those failed experiments that Google introduced. Maybe it was ahead of its time, right? It looked a little bit bulky or I won't say bulky, it just looked- Intrusive. Intrusive. It was a perimeter. I, what I heard a lot of people that they just, their vision seemed to be blocked, the perimeter, and they just felt uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. But also the processing power was just not there for this wearable, right? It was probably underpowered. It was ahead of his time. Yeah, exactly. So it was underpowered. The AI behind it was not very good. So it couldn't do things like speech to text very fast or this different interfaces. So however, now where we are is that Meta has introduced what they call smart classes in collaboration with Ray-Ban. So if you want style, I wear Ray-Ban glasses and I'm sure a lot of other folks do as well, but they're very stylish. And now you can get Ray-Ban glasses with the power of a large language model by Meta connected to that. It has a camera, it has a microphone, it has audio, so you can communicate with it through language. I don't know. What do you think? Well, full disclosure, they're my client. We manage I knew it. the uh, I, we manage the Meta Ryban marketing efforts, and yeah, it's very interesting, right? So it, it's basically technology meet physical appearance and fashion, right? That's the play at the price point about two hundred and ninety nine dollars. So this is where Meta starts to basically play around with these early wins from the Snapchat glasses and start thinking about people who actually wear them for a long time. But the applications in terms of predictions are very, very limited, right? They just basically, it's lifestyle wearables as opposed to health tracking monitoring. So very interesting. And I got to tell you that out of the ones that I've seen, I wear them no problem. So, and I'm not saying that because they're marketing. So you just wear them as regular glasses as your style? As my style, correct. And if you are a Ray-Ban fan, they're beautiful looking glasses. Now, one of the things that's interesting about them is the ability to live stream 
to Facebook and even Instagram, right? I think that's one of the benefits that these glasses have is that you have a camera right there and it's able to live stream on these platforms. So it's extending the reach of Facebook and Instagram now. A hundred percent is embedding the uh, use cases that probably 80, 60% of users in Facebook will do, which is basically multimedia experiences from live streaming video pictures and things of that sort. And also WhatsApp. Hey everyone, Artis here, founder and CEO of Element 451. I'm thrilled to invite you to the Engage Summit in Raleigh, June 25th and 26th. It's our annual gathering where AI and higher education come together in exciting ways. A lot of the sessions will focus on cutting edge AI, that are reshaping student experience, they're enhancing staff productivity, and offering deep insights into your data. Imagine two days filled with hands-on sessions, real success stories, and the chance to network with top minds in the field. You live with practical, transformative takeaways as you learn how AI can foster a more personalized, efficient approach from recruiting to student success and even to alumni engagement. Oh, and the best part? Engage Summit is incredibly affordable. Try discount code Enrollify50, that's Enrollify50, and you can register for just $99. So join me and many of my fellow Enrollify network creators at Engage Summit this coming June. Learn more and register at engage.element451.com. We can't wait to see you there. Now, imagine how can this translate into a campus environment? Think about all of our student ambassadors that we have all over the place, tour guides, professors. We always ask them to put authentic content out there on social. And with this, we can kind of take a sneak peek behind the scenes and bring their life to social. I don't know if we're there yet. Actually, their application here is for everyone who's listening to this, no joke, you're the next salary or the next way to pay your student ambassador is you give them one of this. You have five options to choose and in exchange, just basically 24 seven streaming, whatever you want. And you create social handles you can need to have a social handle strategy to do it, but it will be very, very powerful because it's contextual. It's modern. And remember the brand is built on social. Meaning that the perspective that artists will have as a student on campus not be the, the someone that will have any. If you do that, it will be very, very authentic. So I, I like that application. Nicely done. I may bring this to our social media campaign. <laughs> hey, I mean, just cut me in, that's all. Or just mention my name. You got it. If you watch on Netflix, I think I just watched a movie with Tom Hanks. I'm not sure when it was produced called The Circle. I believe it was The Circle but it had something very similar where it introduced these cameras everywhere. And the idea was it followed a person 24 seven, one of their employees through their life. And it introduced a lot of these cameras everywhere. So, so something to, to take a look at. It's a sci-fi movie, of course, but you know, not very far fetched, maybe in, in a few years, of course, all these sci-fi movies take a, a, a completely different spin on the negative and on the impact on you know, security and on the impact on privacy. So it's like Big Bad Wolf Corporation is going to globber up all the data and essentially kind of no disregard for privacy whatsoever. All right, we got two more of these. 
I'll talk about the Apple Vision Pro and then we can end with the Neuralink, right? Because the Neuralink is a little bit more out there and something that needs to be understood. But let's transition from the Meta glasses. And of course, a lot of you have wore VR headsets from Meta as well. But now we transition to Apple Vision Pro. Vision Pro was introduced last year by Apple. It is the first, what they're calling spatial computing headset. It looks like a VR headset if you haven't seen one but it released, it shipped, and it was in people's hands on February 2nd, which as the time of this recording, it was literally a few days ago. But already still doesn't have his, so... I don't have it. I took a little bit longer to order it, and I didn't get into the pre-order. Yeah. Apple, come on. Artis is giving you a plug. Send him the glasses now. That's right. That's right. So what is it, JC? Like, you know, from what you've seen, like, what is it? It's a redefinition of the use cases as we now see them. So what I mean with that, let's go back for three seconds to uh, Meta, right? This is going to work with our social media. So let's just give people a wearable. They use AI that does that. In this case, we want to create a new capability in a new type of use case in which vision, right? It's not blocked. The aspect of style continues because they are beautiful. Number three, special computing indicates that as I move along, as I'm having this conversation with you, I can have the glasses and I can start still talking to you. But the reality in which I'm going to be interacting with you, especially computing with you now is like, you know, artists is saying those things and I really wanted to Google it as you're saying these things. And then I'm going to go into probably Safari browser and then see this. And while we're having this conversation, multitasking, becomes a thing, but I'm doing it at the line of sight of this, right? My, I'm putting my hand on top of my eyes because it's special computing, the inputs, which are keyboards, uh, mouse, device, you know, touch screens now all of a sudden are spatial. They're spatial, right? So they would use some type of manipulation, right? And it opens up a known technology vertical or pillar, which is spatial computing, right? Exactly. So the interface, which you're talking about is there is no keyboard. There is no on and off button. Essentially, you put it on and then you're using your hands. It tracks your eyes to see where you're looking into the space. And then it's focusing certain things as you kind of click and move things around or you pinch. It's basically tracking your eyes. The amazing thing is that it's essentially you can see through, but what it allows you to do is projecting the reality that's happening in, in multiple cameras, which has an incredible view or an incredible peripheral vision. It's projecting all that stuff in your eyes and so you can see through, but the latency at which it's processing that information, I believe it's under 12 milliseconds, if I'm not correct. And it's imperceptible from our perception that this is a feed that's coming through a camera rather than it's exactly what we're seeing on the other side. So that is very impressive, right? That is super impressive and it doesn't cause any headaches. Like we've had reports from people wearing it for a really long time and they don't feel tired or they don't feel exhausted with some of the other VR headsets. That's one of the things that you get from them because the latency is a little bit higher. So your brain perceives it as not a reality component in here. So I can't wait to get my hands on it for sure. <laughs> I know, right? Next time you do the episode, please wear them. Which brings me <laughs> to my point. As we define special computing, there is something that I, I found really interesting. And I first uncovered this in my PhD seminars as a PhD student, right? The technology tends to have this productivity angle, right? So spreadsheets and the phone and all these type of things, you know, emerge from let's make the office and the workplace more productive, right? But then 
in the 80s, we start seeing how technology starts jumping from productivity to pleasure, hedonist technologies, right? This idea that Facebook and many other organizations figure out that, you know, I don't mind scrolling 70,000 hours just to get, you know, cats falling out of a dishwasher and how funny it is, right? So in your point of view, where does special computing enters the productivity scene, right? Because I think Meta and Facebook try to do that, like entered this meta world with, you know, productivity, didn't pan out. Where does Apple Vision sit with productivity? Do you see spatial computing entering the boardroom literally and all of a sudden like we are doing these things, we have a conversation and I want to see the spreadsheet and I want to go from the slide deck to, I don't know, the manufacturing line and visualize all that. In theory, that's what it permits, but do you see it penetrating the boardroom? 100%. And we can talk about what's the killer app for this, right? So we have this computing devices, but what is the killer app? And what I see as the killer app in here today is the ability for them to have those avatars. So they have this avatars that's a representation of you. So you're talking and it scans your face. It makes a 3D version of you. And as you talk, as your eyes move, you're essentially hovering in space with another person, or you can have multiple people in space. And when you look at someone, then it's, it's essentially as if they're in the room. So it kind of projects and looks at the angles as if you're in the same room. And if you're making a gesture to somebody that somebody in that room where they are wouldn't be able to see in a natural space from that angle, it's happening the same. Like they're not able to see it in the camera as well as they're looking through it. So I would say actually that is one of the killer apps in this case as we move away and we start working remotely or from multiple locations from your mobile office or from your home office or wherever you are now on a plane, you can have this on and you can have a giant screen in front of you. You can be very productive everywhere, right? So you no longer need another physical device or screen to look through. So we talked about how do you interact with these devices through generative AI through voice. So now you also have another input, which is basically glued to your eyes, but you can interact with it through vision, right? Through your eye movement. And it's projecting all of this into your eyes, which is incredible, right? So you bring all of that into any place that you are right now. So following that logic model, if you bring this to higher education, my friend, <laughs> are we saying that the killer app here for higher education has arrived, which for me, the elephant in the room is, what we've been trying to do with online education for the past 20 years. Finally, there's something that can move us forward. 100%. We talk about distance learning, but there's always this ability to having a teacher, right? So connecting from multiple places, this is absolutely a killer app. Like you can be in a classroom uh, and the ability for you to not just have the teacher in front of you, but essentially bring in, let's say, a virtual teacher or virtual TA or a virtual assistant that can personalize and they can keep up with the student. Think about it as somebody sitting right next to your chair while you're in the classroom and you're like, what did he say? Or I don't understand that part of it. Can you just tell me how this fits into you know what we're learning? So that is something that I'm going to bet we're going to build on these over the next few months or, or a year, but that's a huge killer app for me. Now, I do have to qualify. A $4,000 price tag is going to be a huge, huge barrier to that vision. And I don't know how long it's going to take. It's going to take years before the price goes down. Like we've seen it with adoption of Chromebooks in the classroom and computers for everybody. 
this is not going to be available. Like I would consider this to be for some of the more affluent schools or some of the schools who want to attract certain types of students. This is going to be the, hey, as part of your scholarship, you get a laptop and that was me, right? So when I went to school, like that was part of my scholarship is like, you get this laptop for free. Now, maybe you get an Apple Vision Pro for free as part of your education. I don't know. Two comments. First, right on the point of the device, it's incentivized through higher education, you know, financial aid, merit-based, whatever. My daughter, five, gets an iPad fully loaded with keyboards and everything. So that's at least $1,000. And it's basically something that New York City gives to all the students here. So just think about, you know, those budgets are already embedded. So it just, the budget is there, everybody. The opportunity starts to unfold. And definitely to your point is maybe $4,000 is, it's too steep. But this is the technology strategy in terms of pricing that Apple is known to use, right? Starts at the top and starts bringing down. And what we can see is the competitor landscape from Meta, Google is known for that, right? That they start at a lower pricing point, And then in a way, these two worlds would collide. And if there's something we know with generation AI, it's that the timelines have compressed and these things are not years, they're months. So we'll see what happens, but it'll be a very interesting prediction for us to start dabbling that this year is where we start seeing big, 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 I guess, unlocks for online distance learning, remote learning, whatever word you want to use, which is the deployment, the true deployment of technology and pedagogy so that the experience expands. One thing, because this is an AI podcast, when you say avatar, I don't want people to start thinking about second life avatars. This is literally a generative AI play that the avatar, the way I understand, it looks like me. It's going to look at my facial and it's going to render an imitation, a deep fake, right, of JC. And that's a really interesting, I would say, decision that Apple needed to make on how do they portray avatars. And I like that they're trying to go humanistic as opposed to, hey, JC wants to look like a dragon with the tail of a cat. <laughs> yeah. A cartoon or yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that is the killer app for sure. So let's kind of switch gears a little bit and go a little bit more in the future, right? It's like, okay, we have this thing in front of our face. Now, can we have it implanted in our brains? <laughs> let's make AI invasive. huh? Let's inject it, drink it and put it in my bloodstream. <laughs> what is this all about? Well, in this case... Elon Musk wants to put it in your brain, right? So Neuralink is... Oh, easier. But it's okay. It's through, it's through the year. It's through the year. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> so have you heard of Neuralink before? I have, actually, from the research lab at Berkeley about 10 years ago. So Neuralink is a company, right? So it's so Elon Musk's company, and they're working on developing implantable brain-computer interfaces. They're called BCIs. So really their mission or the goal, the way that they describe it is to create a seamless integration. This BCI is integrated directly into your brain and it can help paralyze people kind of regain independence. So your brain cannot control the rest of your body, but because these interfaces are now implanted directly in your brain, they can integrate with other systems and other things like, for example, voice generation. It also can restore neurological functions and ultimately their vision and goal is to achieve some form of symbiosis with AI. So essentially, rather than you having these things in your eyes or an Apple Vision Pro, you're going to be able to see the same exact things, but that's going to be deeply connected through your neural network and your brain. 
artist, can I give an example of what you're talking about? It, because what you just said in terms of, you know, our body and, and, and basically the biological eff efforts of technology meets human, it sounds scary, but just, I want to paint a picture of, as I said, I saw this technology on the research lab before it became a company and whatnot. And this is the example that they gave us, and it was so monumental and, and interesting to me. So let's think about cybersecurity. Let's think about unlocking our computers, right? So I type a word. Uh, today, you put in your fingerprint if it's advanced. So right now, the password for my computer is pineapple. So what I need to do is think of what is a pineapple, and that actually opens a computer. When you think of pineapple, my pineapple and your pineapple artist will be different in terms of the construct of a pineapple are, right? Or how does it look like? By the way, where I come from, the pineapple is white. It's not yellow. If anything, I see the whole pineapple. Maybe you see it already served. But that is what AI will use. Detect it in your brain, send it out, and basically renders permission to enter a device. So start thinking about how this leaves human, I guess, electronic signals, and then it starts basically penetrating wearables, if anything. Exactly, exactly. So this is now, of course, the folks who are going to be very, very early adopters of this, and this is still in kind of testing phases, are going to be those who have no capability on essentially the, the rest of their body. So they're paralyzed or, or they, have, they need to kind of interact with the rest of the world through some kind of interface. And this is a, a really good example of that. But your your point is that this is how the company is trying to create market share, right? And that's, by the way, that's gigantic because I'm pretty sure one of the things that, that happens here is why would you and I put one of these AI wearables in our bodies, right? It feels still scary because it's so nuanced. But if you're in this, you know, really difficult stages, it's kind of like the Hail Mary, right? So pulling for this type of technology to work because it's needed. The opportunities for these type of individuals are not there. So. Really interesting play from the company. In a way, well done. So it will be the hearing aid of the future, right? You know, or at least in the next couple of years, it will be the hearing aid. So now it gets kind of planned directly into your brain and you don't have to go through your different senses. Huge, huge possibility here. Do you know if it requires a surgical procedure? Did you, in your research, how is it getting implanted? I heard it was through the ear, but you know, it was some kind of dust. Do you know anything about that? So essentially, they, they kind of designed a robot to surgically implant it into your motor cortex of the brain. Oh, they're definitely going in. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's recording your brain signals, and then it's able to kind of transmit them externally as well. So right now, it's essentially as you think something, it's able to construct that and put it out there or to interface with another system. So incredible. I mean, it's fascinating, right? It's something that, hey... I'm open for it in five years or, or 10 years. If the technology gets good enough, then I'll, I'll certainly be an early adopter of this. But first, we have to get our Vision Pro and our spatial computing on or Ray-Ban glasses from Meta. <laughs> so many wearables. It's going to cost us our whole salaries just to keep up with these. I'm just going to start with the ring. That's basically today's episode. <laughs> that's my biggest takeaway. My new wedding band, it's going to monitor my heart. Oh, there you go. There you go. Valentine's Day coming up for sure. So Exactly. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun, JC. We have so much to talk about in this space. You being an electrical engineer by trade, which tested microchips for IBM and now thinking about how does this come back full circle back to hardware and AI? It's, it's phenomenal. And you, the computer engineer, right? 
the world e even more mixed because this is deployed at scale that reduces, reduces, and reduces, reduces. Artists, I'll give you a quote as we wrap up. I heard this from Professor Scott Galloway, and it's really, really interesting. The promise in career mobility is inversely proportional to the size of the screen. If you're today building for, let's say, I don't know, a movie theater, right? Versus for an Apple watch or for a laptop or, you know, goggles that go in your screens, the smaller you get, the bigger the opportunities. It's a really interesting hyper-reduction of the world, but that's in a way what we're talking about. The opportunity has changed. Wearables are here, powered by AI, and it could be in a ring, could be in your ear, and it's basically the opportunity space is, in, is, is abundant. So thank you for walking us to this. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. You know, hope to continue down this path throughout the year as we kind of get more and the devices become more and more prolific, you know, on our everyday lives. Have a good one, JC. Always a pleasure. Till next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Generation AI is part of the Enrollify podcast network. If you like this podcast, chances are you're going to like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing weekly, and we've got a wide range of marketing, enrollment, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks, all designed to empower you to be a better higher ed professional. Our shows help higher ed leaders and professionals like you find their next big idea. They feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts, like Jamie Hunt, Seth O'Dell, Jenny Lee Fowler, Brian Gross, and many of your favorite leaders in higher ed. Enrollify is made possible by Element 451, the next generation AI student engagement platform that's helping institutions all over the country create meaningful, personalized, and engaging connections with their prospects and students. Learn more at element451.com.